0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always
1: typical Lydia
0: today's show we're going to be doing the 1980 slasher on a train
1: classic
0: terror train
1: i want to say it's the only slasher on a train but we have Howl. Howl we do. was covered on buying torture cast an amazing werewolf on a train fucking movie and if you want to be the person who wishes for a sequel to this you could imagine That at the end of the film, it ends and then turns into somebody turning into a werewolf. Mm -hmm. And then coming back years later to terrorize people on a train.
0: It never hurts to add a little uh, lycanthropy to our sequels.
1: It never hurts to add a little lycanthropy to any day. (laughs) Uh, Chris had pointed out there was a film he had watched, Train. We were talking about train films coming into this. And... I'd never seen this film, Train, but we were looking it up and we were talking about it and I was enjoying the poster art. And according to Wikipedia, it was set to be a sequel to Terror Train, but then got derailed. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I I went there.
0: (laughs) Puns ahead. Toot, toot. Ooh! All aboard the pun train. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm doing. (laughs) But it turned into its own film and and good because it apparently wasn't very good so i wouldn't want to see the sequel to this be something bad because terror train is a really amazing horror film that i enjoy very very much and not just because it's canadian it has jamie Lee curtis it has david copperfield in it
0: being all swishy and slinky serpentine some sparkly at times sparkly yeah mm-hmm. absolutely
1: with his sleight of hand <laughs> Uh, Lydia's some... alliterate all day long.
0: Oh, mother God. That's crazy. Now, one of the things that... Uh, first of all, Happy New Year.
1: Oh, yeah. This is our New Year episode because this takes place on a train in New Year.
0: Back when I got the Blu-ray for Terra Train, which, by the way, we were watching the... Uh, Scream Factory version of it because, I mean, when it comes to Blu-ray, it's for horror these days, it seems to be Scream Factory or Arrow. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Kind of what the bulk of it is. I just got it into my head that I was like, ooh, I really want to do this for New Year's. And so this one's been sitting in the chamber for a while. And it's great that we can finally get it done today.
1: Yeah, it makes me pretty happy. I'd wanted to do this one, not only because there isn't a lot of good New Year horror out there, Mm -hmm. There seemed like no better way to squeak it into our schedule than to have it following Black Christmas. We're having this sort of like Canadian extravaganza here.
0: I know. We're Canadian. These films are Canadian. I absolutely love them. And by the way, this isn't the first time in the year 1980, which I revel in that Jamie Lee Curtis lent her talents to a Canadian slasher film we've covered on this show in what I consider one of our best episodes, the classic slasher, Prom Night, a film so good that I model my whole life after basically the main character, Slick.
1: Basically the main character. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Now, you were explaining to me something fun that some horror affectionados may have noticed or may posit that this wraps up her horror trilogy but mm-hmm. it also wraps up an interesting timeline on if Jamie Lee Curtis's characters mm-hmm. through her three big slasher classics were all the same person. Mm-hmm. Can you just lay it out briefly for our our fans, friends and listeners?
0: Absolutely. So we all know that Jamie Lee Curtis made her big debut onto the horror scene in 1978 with the godfather of slashers, Halloween. Mm -hmm. And there she played uh, Laurie Strode. Then, and, and by the way, just to let you know, Laurie Strode was a high school girl, typical high school girl. And then in Prom Night, she's playing a high school girl with a different name and now it's her senior prom yeah, she's, she's graduating, graduating she's yeah. graduating high school and then in this film she is playing a woman in college who by the time that the actual events of terror train take place she is in her senior year of college and she's going to be graduating and onto adulthood if you take that into consideration Jamie Lee Curtis's character could easily be Laurie Strode from the first film Constantly moving, constantly changing her name, because she is constantly escaping killers.
1: Yeah, and she's always the final girl, so she makes it every time.
0: She does. She does. And even though there's a little bit of... uh, It trips you up just a little bit, because obviously the events in prom night, it starts when they're all children. But that could easily be explained away through like adoption, or maybe... They maybe they were not really siblings, maybe they were cousins, and she was maybe living was, with this family or something.
1: No, exactly. This is how it, they all got sort of split up
0: mm-hmm, in a mm-hmm. way, yeah. And and then you know, maybe even like later on, when she's a, a young adult and she like she's tired of all these mass killers, and then she moves off into a quiet, sleepy ocean view town, and then one day a sinister fog rolls in,
1: yeah. Pretty much. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. And I really, really enjoy that uh, universe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fun. The Curtisverse, as the they Curtis call them. The Curtisverse. Really? Yeah. Uh, who? Me. I just okay. made it up right now. I'm coining the phrase. What I
1: figured. <laughs> yeah. The Jamie Lee Curtis universe. I, I really do enjoy that. Uh, I wonder if at the time when she was being cast for these roles, that, that dawned on her at all.
0: I'm not sure. And it's always up in the air about her motivations for wanting to do this stuff because as we know we talked about it in the prom night episode she contacted her agent contacted that production she wanted to do these films specifically and it was never really asked why because she was one of the biggest new breakout stars and a hot commodity i mean halloween made so much money so it would have been a boon and she would have been Making Prom Night and Terror Train in and around the same time like I'm sure she left one production and then immediately went into that pretty one
1: pretty much this was filmed pretty quickly it was filmed like over the fall and into the, like right before New Year I guess is when filming wrapped so it mm-hmm. all happened really really fast mm-hmm. but probably just to get her name out there and it affords a lot of elasticity for a character especially female characters playing in horror because they can go from like fun-loving, matronly, terrified and like very stoic and also be in charge like they can play all of these roles and she usually does in her horror roles anyway that's mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. definitely a lot of elasticity to the character and a lot of many different facets to the character so she probably took a look at these scripts or, or heard about the production and had an idea of what sort of person she'd be playing
2: mm-hmm. she certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't
1: be relegated to a small character no. Jamie Lee Curtis for crying out loud yeah. so she knew that there would be a lot for her they're very meaty characters so I can see why doesn't matter what she had gone on to do at the time as a young actress probably just like give me something meaty give me something interesting and mm-hmm. fucking right her roles are interesting and these are really interesting films that she ended up in
0: mm-hmm. and it doesn't hurt that in all three of these films she ends up being the star of them That is not a bad way to start your career. Terror Train is one of those films that gets shuffled off a little bit. People don't talk about Terror Train too much. Um, They talk about Prom Night a little bit more, but even that movie doesn't get talked about too, too much either.
1: Not often enough. And the sequel, uh, Hello, Mary Lou, had nothing really to do with the first one, so that didn't help. So anyone who's a fan of the second one Mm
2: -hmm.
1: might have skipped the first one entirely. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Terror Train has no real other canon other than other train movies, which are usually like slow-moving crime and noir thrillers, Mm -hmm. not horror necessarily.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. More murder mystery type stuff. We were even talking about some murder mystery stuff today. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the cool things about uh, Terror Train is it offers us the chance to watch a slasher film in a rather unique setting, because of the fact that there's very few horror train movies and we've talked about this a little bit about the idea of closed space in both literature and film and creative ways that you can get around doing that. The fact of the matter is, is like you can do a sorority house, you can do a school, you can do a hospital, you can set things late at night or during special events or holidays where streets are relatively empty and places are relatively isolated if you want to do a closed space environment, you could also use callousness of strangers to make our victims have no real sense of help anywhere that they go.
1: Yeah, and even be in a wide open space but feel isolated and that that feeling translates mm-hmm. to the audience.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween ha- is running through a, a populated neighborhood and people are turning off their lights and closing their windows when she's calling for help. So we've seen this type of stuff before, but when specifically going for closed space, environments and stories, when we're talking about something like Eel Marsh House, like, ooh, what a unique and interesting way to make a house isolated by putting it in this peat bog. Mm -hmm. And now this is another really great example. Let's put everybody on a moving train and make it a party and even if you were to stop the train, you're in the middle of nowhere. And so, and you'll all freeze to death because it's fucking January. Yeah. And this was filmed in and around Montreal. So, yeah, you're going to fucking freeze to death in January. So, you can't really get off the train. It's dangerous to stay on the train. You can't really stop the train because it's a train. And what are you going to do? Chug backwards?
1: No, and there's apparently another train heading down the track, so they can't switch tracks. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they do talk about turning around at one point, but turning a train around, I don't know, you just can't do it. You need a turning station to Mm -hmm. do that, for crying out loud. Uh, The only other horror film that really comes to mind on a train is Howl. And they had a lot of the exact same things at play. So psychologically, we're set and we're along for this ride and we're strapped in as, as much as the characters are. There's nowhere to go. If you stop, you're at the mercy of the wilderness, and whatever it is that you're on the train with, you're trapped mm-hmm. there. And if something happens that you need to stop the train, you're at, an, you have all other, a bunch of other risks to deal with. It's just absolutely unsafe unless you keep the train moving, and keeping it moving is another set of stress all of its own. Especially in this case where they start asking people if they've ever shoveled coal before because at least the train in Howell is in the UK and it's like a bullet train. This is a steam engine Mm -hmm. that needs people to shovel coal for crying out loud. Yeah. This is one of the things where I wish I was watching this with my dad so I could ask him all sorts of trivia about trains because he used to work for the Mm ONR. And this was a Canadian Pacific Railway train if I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exact same practices. So my dad would have been on trains a few years before this was filmed mm-hmm. doing the same things that these guys were doing. It's
0: kind mm-hmm. of interesting. And it is cool. It is a real train that they're using in the movie because obviously that makes the most financial sense. You want know, to build a bunch of sets.
1: Shooting and- in a train has got all sorts of challenges of its own, though. Uh, there's a lot to be said. Paul Hyatt talks about shooting on a train.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can hear all about shooting on a train, uh, episode 112 of Bind Torture Cast. Mm. I'm actually going to have a little plug of rooney dooney for our podcast, Neighborinos.
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> Torture Cast <laughs> has their year-end episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's being out already or if it's coming out around the time that this episode airs, but definitely tune in. Because that's one of my favorite episodes of my favorite podcast, when they go through some of the hits and flops, as it were, of the last
0: year. Mm-hmm. I just like to do themed uh, episodes i don't know about doing a year-end wrap-up because we don't really do news or we don't really You know what i'm saying
1: that makes so much more sense for them because they really do have their uh, finger on the slowly waning pulse of the horror industry year by year mm-hmm. and luckily they shock it back into fucking life after their year-end wrap-up which is always a nice long crazy back and forth episode of all three of their top tens which is Sometimes cause for argument. Well, not argument. They don't really argue, but cause for discussion, some dissent, enough agreement to make the people who like happy things, happy.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't watch enough new horror. That's really my issue. People wonder why I'm always recommending films from the 1980s and 70s and 60s and 90s. It's because, gang, that's what I'm watching. He's
1: secretly an 85-year-old man in disguise. You pull that disguise off, it's got a lizard costume, you pull a lizard costume off, it's Groto Marx, it's weird. Everybody knows
0: that horror attained perfection in 1990. I don't like any other horror movie that's made in the last 20 years. He doesn't. Our horror movies had big titties and big knives, and we liked it. Oh, that is
1: clip-worthy, Wes. That's perfect. That is exactly how we should end this year. Welcome to 2016, where the titties are small and the knives could be guns.
0: I'm just glad that I can finally do my real voice (laughs) on this show. Tell Grandpa Wes, what is this movie even about? I don't remember. (laughs) I need my pills. Where are my horror pills? They help me remember things. They look like Michael Myers' face. I think... Who is he?
1: Little, aren't they little tiny hockey masks? That's the other one. Little fedoras? Brown stained fedoras? Burnt stained fedoras?
0: Maybe. They're fedorable. Anyway, so, Grandpa
1: Wes, what is this movie even about?
0: Well, I'll tell you. no, I'll tell you. this film is about college. Med students,
1: damn med <coughs> students, and I even said it a couple times watching this. There ain't no party like a med school party.
0: And a med school party is lit.
1: Yeah, annoyingly so. Uh, and it starts out with one med school party and just leads to another. But if I were a med student, I would be pulling cadaver pranks all the live long day.
0: You're not even a med school student and you do pull cadaver jokes all the time.
1: Yeah, I know. Where do I get these cadavers?
0: That's what I want to know.
1: I know. ha! That is the magic of being me,
0: <laughs> I
1: suppose. But I, I really love the setup for this story, but it's another, it's one of those stories where there is a little bit of preamble that you largely forget because you kind of get into the story and upon your first view, you might forget this beginning part.
0: You would. The idea behind it is we got ourselves a college party. And it looks like we're about to fucking watch Animal House or whatever the hell. Barkies, Porky's. Porky's. Meatballs. <laughs> meatballs. You got a bunch of uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Like, you got a bunch of, like, college boys. Some dudes in Dickies. Some dudes.
1: You're always just looking at the Dickies, aren't you?
0: I'm a fucking Dickie fan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just because I always remember the dress code for Rutgers University uh, from back from like the 1920s or some shit like that and it was all about like freshmen having to make sure that they were wearing their dickies properly and and all that type of shit. I remember taking a photo of it because I thought it was so hilarious. Anyways, the idea is that uh, you gotta wear your beanie unless you get laid and that's a little line in the movie and I was like Jesus Christ this line is amazing but it seems like it belongs in a different movie and it seems like wow, if you took the killing out of this, it really could just be like a fucking frat fucker party movie, right?
1: Yeah, totally. It was being filmed around yeah. the same time as a lot of those uh, oh, absolutely. comedy classics, I guess. Like yeah, ca-
0: comedy classics. I think you vomited in your mouth a little bit when I you said that. I felt like
1: I vomited <laughs> a, little, a little in my mouth. And a lot of them were filmed in Canada for some reason. I'm all proud of our horror heritage, our comedy heritage. Fuck, not so much.
0: So we got ourselves a little prank, prank gone awry, is because you got a bunch of dudes here and they're trying to talk up this little boy Kenny, Kenny's not like anybody else, and he's shy, looks at his feet a lot, he's got kind of like a, ah, shucks, makes weird jokes no one gets. Yeah, people don't really know his style, but they're trying to say, we're here for you, man, we're here for you, we're gonna get you laid, and they're pointing out old Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tempting. Man, I know, this time she's calling herself Elena. This oh, time. this time she's that's 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 her name that she's going by anyway, and leads him up to the house. Well, they bring up to the house, and she's in a football jersey, and she looks like she's ready to get down, and like her friend Mitchie, and her are in this bedroom. And it's like all strobe lit with your fucking traffic lights. I don't know. It looks like a David Copperfield set.
1: Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like he's going to pop out and do a magic trick any second.
0: I know, right? Fucking smoke machine's going to start going any moment.
1: And she's she's dating Mo at this time. And she hasn't been told exactly what they're doing. She's just been sort of fed some lines and was like, here, go here, do this. It'll be funny. Promise.
0: Mm-hmm. And what they end up doing is she beckons him over with her sweet siren song and as he leans in to kiss who he thinks is elena jamie lee curtis turns out it's a cadaver
1: <laughs> all chopped into pieces too with a nice y incision and a really like rasty nasty
0: old cadaver too oh absolutely yeah. as he stands up and starts to freak out he just spins himself in a bunch of tool
1: that's hanging from this candy yeah. bed and i really if there was anything i wish for this film, is that they put a little more thought into the canopy bed. Maybe a lot more tulle, maybe different colors of tulle, maybe like just something different because it looks like he has to work a little too hard to get himself wrapped it's, it's up It's
0: very in. Steve Urkel it, yeah. it, it, where, where, where you're seeing a not clumsy person pretend to be clumsy.
1: Exactly. And
0: I honestly agree with you 100%. If I was the director, I would have just one more take yeah. man. one more take look more frantic fall off the bed if you have to it's not really
1: well we rearrange this tool so that you, just by stepping back you will begin to be tangled in it so all it would take is the first turn around yeah. and you'll get like unbelievably cocooned mm-hmm. so it won't take you having to spin around like you're in a fucking
0: music video i know. <laughs>
1: like really
0: yeah really. he's trying to be oh, I'm a human cotton candy machine yeah exactly yeah. so unfortunately
1: it takes you out of this very important beginning scene and renders it even more forgettable because I like the writer would definitely want you to kind of forget about it a little bit so they can have their fun with you but it doesn't seem to fit really but I get what they're trying to do and I like the idea very much and the cadaver makes it all better
0: we cut to three years later, and it's New Year's once again, and it's time for a
1: party. Yeah, it seems Mo and um, Manly. What a name, eh? <laughs> Doc Manly. <laughs> like,
0: I mean, what you don't know is he was a retired porn actor yeah, who right. decided to actually get into the medical field. Doc Manly. Doc
1: Manly. I don't know what his first name would be, but Manly. Mo and Manly are sort of the ringleaders of everything. They were the ringleaders of that horrible prank. They were the ringleaders probably that party that night. They are the ringleaders of this amazing idea. And I'm not a partier. I'm not a reveler. I'm not a New Year's Eve goer-outer amongst the humans on the town kind of girl. But I like the idea of this party on a train.
2: Mm-hmm. Of course
1: it's full of fucking drunk frat type people like so it's not my scene that way but i really like the idea of a costume party for new year's on a train it seems very very fun
0: (laughs) i agree um i definitely have been known to uh let my hair down a little bit for new year's i'm a little excited today because you know i got that new year's vibe in me we're not drinking though
1: we're drinking coffee that's probably the vibe you've got
0: True. It's a coffee vibe, and also now I have a water with a water chaser.
1: A coffee with a water chaser. Welcome to my world. (laughs) Next, we'll have some cucumbers and cottage cheese.
0: Ooh. Nachos, Flanders stuff. (laughs) With a slice of white bread for dipping. (laughs) Well, that's how we get jazzed around here. It's true, and what I like is it's not too hard on the stomach. Now... Elena is actually pretty stoked about this kind of thing. And we've we've seen some of our familiar friends who were at that first year party. Uh, a lot of them are seniors now. And this is like the last big blowout. And on top of the fact that it is a train a New Year's party, it is a costumed train a New Year's party, Lydia.
1: A costume train New Year's affair, if you will. If it weren't for the fact that they're all getting fucking white girl wasted then that would be really cool.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Because there's there's, there's probably one case of beer per person. Yeah. Like, I swear to God. But they've really pulled out all the stops. No train pun intended. <laughs> but they've got a, a magician, too, which is so cool. So aside from us seeing some now familiar faces of Mo Mitchie, Manly... Jackson, who I really wish would
0: stick around longer. Jackson's cool. Snake Man. I like like his costume. He's a good-looking dude. He's a
1: good-looking dude. And I really, really like his costume. It's the most unique out of all the costumes. Because they're not really Halloween-y costumes, but a lot of them do. I was wondering about that.
0: Do you think that this is just their bargain basement Halloween costumes they had left over?
1: I don't know if people do masquerade (laughs) for New Year.
0: I don't know that either. I know that... I, I mean, nowadays we see New Year's, people got the 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 top hats and the glasses with the year on them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I don't really know if people like do people do that? I went to a James Bond uh, New Year's party once, but I had to dress up in a suit. That was my costume.
1: People do dress up parties for different occasions. We're just so used to it being Halloween and we're so Halloween centric, mm-hmm. honestly. We really, really are. Like, we're reviewing horror movies for every major holiday here, people. Like, we're definitely Halloween-focused <laughs> individuals. Yeah. Um, But people do dress-up parties for other reasons. So yeah, it's true. So that must be it.
0: Yeah, it's like when someone has, like, an 80s party or something like that.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I just dust off clothes that I haven't thrown out yet.
1: <laughs> I, don't even, I don't own any old 80s clothes. I wouldn't... It never works. Like, ugly sweater, can't do it. Dress-up party, meh, not really, unless I'm going to wear, like... I'll go as a woman in black.
2: There you go. Again.
1: Or Lydia Dietz.
2: <laughs>
1: no costume required. I mean, I can't do, like, toga parties, like, any of those dress-up stuff. I mm-hmm. can't I can't do it 80s. I, I, I can't. I just don't own those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm no fun at all. It's a fact.
0: Well, that's okay. I just straight up don't really like doing those things. I have way too much social anxiety. I don't like putting on costumes at all. Like, really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, these people do like what they're doing, that's for sure. Even though there is, art, like, right off there's a bit of stress because people are going to get too drunk. People are going to play pranks on one another that aren't funny. And that's, like, a recurring theme for me in this film is that people are doing things that they're passing off as jokes that aren't fucking funny.
0: Yeah, especially this Doc character, Doc Manly. Manly, Manly. oh my god. He really is a mean-spirited fucking little prick. And his jokes aren't funny. I don't even understand why... I don't like... It's, it's the same thing where it's like, I don't like street humor. I don't... I never like those TV shows that were people like Tom Green types that would just go out and bother people on the street and try to get a reaction out of them because they're acting so fucking bizarre Mm -hmm. and because it just it makes me uncomfortable and tense the same thing with practical jokes even in film they make me uncomfortable and tense and I don't understand people who are like I love pranks and practical jokes I don't and it's not even from perspective of Oh, you have just people play pranks on you Wes and you don't like it. I was like, No, nobody plays pranks on me because I would probably lose my fucking mind.
1: Yeah. It's not only like it's not just that you hate pranks, you hate those people. Yeah. So I, you're I was like, like I can't dude, stand it. I hate pranks and I hate you.
0: Yeah, because so, like to me, it's like, what's the end game here? What do you really want? Do you like? Do you think that I'm gonna be so scared or so disgusted or so put out, and then I'm gonna be? <laughs> is that the height of their
1: brilliance? Like, and on top of all that, not only is Manly a fucking dick, they're med students. So this is taking Gallo's humor to another degree, and that might have been one of the goals of the writer too. Is like, we all understand Gallo's humor, and mm-hmm. we. Some people can't take it, and people who exhibit gallows humor because of their profession in a lot of ways don't really share it necessarily, and some people aren't very good at that filter of not sharing their gallows humor among people who don't require it as a condition of their employ, or live with that sort of gallows humor. I'm sure that other people around, cops, and morticians, and people like that, doctors, uh, get used to it or enjoyed it themselves anyway, just because of their own personality, but then there's other people who don't enjoy it. So now we've got this combination of somebody who lives with and requires a certain amount of gallows humor and is a prankster. So those are just like, that's a dangerous combination. Mm -hmm. So he's already shown us that he likes to do pranks with cadavers, which I think is hilarious.
0: It's pretty funny, but he also goes to that well quite a bit because he he steals body parts from the morgue constantly, it seems like. (laughs)
1: I'm laughing like it's great, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, and it's usually to embarrass somebody. It's usually not fucking funny. All of his jokes aren't fucking funny. His yeah. friend Ed can be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Ed is uh in the in the lineup getting out of the train. They're in their costumes, so we kind of get to meet them as they're in their costumes, which I like, and it's helpful. You got that instant cheat sheet, right? If you're mm-hmm. thick-skulled or surfing on your phone while you're watching this, um, which I am, both. Yeah. And I really enjoyed being able to meet Ed in his Gretchen Marx costume. Because he was the only one that was actually genuinely funny.
0: Yeah, because he was doing a lot of wordplay. Hmm. You know, Rucker, I hardly know her. That's not actually a joke, but it's kind of that type of jokes that he was doing. What I dig about the introduction to all these characters is that all the train personnel seem pleased. Like all these kids like they're so they, they're they so happy and bright-eyed and and kind of in on it like yeah this is gonna be party party train and i guess if you got to work if this is your job you know a party with music and drinking and and young pretty people all over the place and that, dancing and a, and a magician yeah. and everything in a band like that sounds pretty cool <clears throat> yeah and it's like and as long as we're just driving the train making sure it gets there on time making sure everyone's safe It's probably not a bad way for a 12-hour shift to go.
1: I've never really gone on any sort of like um, event-style train ride or event cruises, but I have gone on uh, a cruise ship that was uh, uh, booked by a punk band, and it was really fun, and all of the crew of the ship were very much like these people on the train. Mm -hmm. They weren't partying along with anybody, but they Mm -hmm. were just there to make sure everyone was safe and do their job and drive the boat and do the thing. Right? And they were jovial and bright-eyed and enjoyed seeing everyone enjoy themselves, which is the mark of good hospitality, really it's nice that they weren't all terrified and just like grumpy right off the bat like
0: all these drunk people like i'd be a little grumpy i think i that's the thing i think i would be too yeah i i'm i'm so petty that when other people are having a good time and i don't have a good time i'm all like no it's fucking i uh, gotta work nice for you i wish i could have a drink i probably could have a drink
1: yeah they probably could they're driving a train crying <clears throat> crying out loud
0: yeah it's like you can have a couple of drinks sure like have a good old time have a drink yeah, a drink. A I think
1: Jamie Lee Curtis kind of shares a little bit of our curmudgeonliness because she's all like... Oh, she is. Party mom, you he
0: calling her? party mom to the extreme. But by the way, everyone's having a good time. Such a good time, in fact, that uh, old Groucho Marx with a sword through his gut seems to be uh, quite the gaffer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> dying and bleeding out in front of people. No one seems to notice. They and think it's a great joke. It's a great trick.
0: Yeah. They're like, oh, look how funny that is. And I guess I wouldn't immediately think that something like that was real if this was the environment, especially if Ed was the the jokester prankster goofer that he is.
1: Yeah. And Manly seems to have access to unlimited body parts and probably loads of blood.
0: Right. So I guess I wouldn't. Uh, like, I wouldn't think he was actually dying, but I wouldn't think the joke was all that funny either. Because I'd be like, all right, I get it. He th- he's pretending like he's impaled. But the last time that we saw Ed, he was talking to the magician. And as the magician is rolling up this giant trunk of supplies, this magician, of course, played by the indelible David Copperfield. Mm-hmm. Which, interestingly, was not an original addition to the script and I didn't know this. You educated me on this earlier today because I didn't realize that it wasn't always supposed to be there because I can't imagine I can't imagine several things about this movie be, especially when we get into the plot and we figure out kind of it's imperative that the magician was on board but if you take the magician out it's a far less entertaining movie and it also doesn't work anymore plotwise so i'm kind of interested what the original cuz they must have completely altered yeah the
1: whole story was already there and every single beat except for one very small fun twist at the end and all the magician scenes which mm-hmm. could be deleted this movie would be lacking without <clears throat> it because it adds a whole other nice fun layer that isn't necessarily a comedy layer. There is comedy in this movie, comedy I hate, comedy that's not fucking funny, but it helps keep you sort of like edgy and sort of like not hoping that these people die, but fed up with them from the get-go, right? So it's an interesting hybrid in that way. They're not making these people useless or daft in any way at all. Um, They're not just cadavers or future cadavers. But they do have something about them that kind of antagonize you. But without the magician, there wouldn't be a lot of these David Copperfield moments. And they really are stock and trade David Copperfield tricks. He's playing David Copperfield. He's not playing anyone else. They might Uh, as well call them David Copperfield.
0: With with all the pageantry that you would associate with David Copperfield's performance, especially performance-based magicians back in those days...
1: Yeah, and this is before he got really big and started doing things like disappearing elephants and buildings and bridges and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all like very nice, normal David Copperfield tricks. And I, I do wonder how much of the cast got to see kind of behind the scenes. I know that he's not going to spoil his own tricks at all or teach them how to do anything. But it must have been fun to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. I think it would be entertaining anyway. But yeah, I cannot imagine the script without him. Yeah. It yeah. would be just a boring old slasher that would have really garnered no attention at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, and uh, but but I, I also think that if this wasn't a last minute addition, it's very handily done. It's not you don't see the seams.
1: No, no.
0: Not only do you not see the seams, you can't even imagine the element removed from the film.
1: That's smoke and mirrors. What?
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's. <laughs> it's like when they added that english guy to that to the first godzilla movie and you you watch it even as a kid i was like why is this guy here what is he doing here yeah Yeah. you
1: never wonder that about the magician it seems seamless Mm -hmm. yeah but i i can see why at the time david copperfield was getting very very big And that was the sort of thing, I don't know what people gather around the TV to watch aside from fucking everything, because it seems that that's all people fucking do anymore is watch fucking television. But when I was a kid, on that rare occasion that there would be some David Copperfield on some show, it would be like, hey everyone, David Copperfield's on TV. And people would come to watch him because he wasn't overly showy. He was an articulate, interesting person. He had a very good sense of showmanship without making a fool of his audience at any time or giving too, too much away at all. But you felt like he was giving you some sort of behind the scenes when he never really was. He was simply just doing his trick and really good tricks at that.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I could see a huge draw at the time Mm -hmm. for David Copperfield.
0: As everyone's shuffled onto the train, and the party goes underway, a little bit of a dark revelation is given. As a couple of our seniors try to braggadociously tell the story about how they pranked someone so bad. And Jamie Lee Curtis hears this story, that old Doc and Mower. Well, it's Doc. He's, He's telling the story. Yeah. And Mo is just there. Mo, by the way, is a bird of some kind.
1: Yeah, he keeps squawking <clears throat> like a parrot. I think he's some sort of parrot. Yeah. It's not a parrot, he's a parrot, but
0: he squawks nevertheless. Mm-hmm. She comes in, and then it's revealed that even though Mo had said that this party was his doing, apparently he's the the rich kid, It's told, it's revealed that, oh, it's... Doc's idea and he was just the money man because I mean this has got to be expensive you rent out an entire train there's enough booze to liquor up an army on this fucking place so, and they just keep pulling out endless bottles of vodka and champagne or whatever and it shows that um that also Doc has like fucked with some of the bottles that he gave the the new pledges to the house or whatever the fuck they are I don't know yeah, I, I don't know how that works, but pledges, basically. Ple- pledges, yeah. freshmen, they're always referring to him as sir, but he, and so she's not having it, and then she's kind of mad at her boyfriend now, too, because she had apparently made a vow that day three years ago that she would never go to another one of his parties, and I don't understand, there is a difference in her mind to to being one of his parties to him being one of the seniors and the seniors throwing a party
1: because he, he would s- have no real power. As soon as you give this guy any power, it seems, out come the cadavers, someone's going to get hurt, and everyone's going to get embarrassed, and there's going to be fucking fights, and someone ends up in the loony bin, and it's never a good scene. And I don't blame her.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get it. And this is where her frown just fucking, or, no wait, her smile turns into a frown, and man, she just becomes party mom.
1: Can you blame her? This guy's out of control. I hate him, too.
0: Yeah, I know, but it's it's to the point where, you know, she's kind of walking around and um, just complaining about everything. What
1: she should have done is grabbed a book and her knitting and went and found a cabin, locked the door, and let the conductor know that she's not to be disturbed.
0: Mm, that's true. Um,
1: and grabbed a bottle of that champagne on her way by. Yeah, she's
0: like, like oh, I'm taking this. I guess the docs uh, mockingly reminded her that You've always tried to like run, like run, walk away from these parties or walk away from me every time you're upset about something, but there's no place to go. You can't just leave.
1: Yeah, this is where I force you to be my friend, Doc says. Mm-hmm. This is like Manly, not Doc. Yeah, his name's Doc.
0: Yeah. Okay. He's got two names, Doc Manly. I hate his name.
1: <clears throat> yeah, this is where Doc's like, well, there's nowhere for you to run. I'm going to force you to be my friend now. I guess that's the whole point of this movie is where Doc Manley wants to be her friend so bad.
0: I think Doc Manley's got a few wants in his life.
1: Yeah, he wants a lot of things. Yeah. He does treat women like dirt, though. He does. We noticed this.
0: Yeah, we noticed this. And, you know, first of all, old Debbie Downer herself, Jamie Lee Curtis, like, going past David Copperfield, and he's going to show her, like, a pretty amazing trick with a nickel or a quarter or whatever the fuck. And he lights the cigarette, she's just like
1: that's gonna give you cancer you're gonna get
0: cancer I was like wow you're not having it today man you're not having it um like Doc Manley seems to be attracted to his good friend Mo
1: like deeply attracted and says things to him like you know it can be just you and I you know I mean
0: that I mean and he's that. very serious yeah because because Moe's pretty upset that that Elena has left uh, seemingly left the party and doesn't really want anything to do with them and he even believes that at this point I don't know if she's gonna forgive me this time she's really upset apparently this original prank all like three years ago is a real sore spot for her and so anything that would remind her of it, And the idea that it seems like her boyfriend doesn't respect her wishes and is also kind of trying to be underhanding lied to her, straight up lied to her. So, so, you know, like we know based off of her, Jamie Lee's performance and the idea of the character and how she's acting, she's mad, but it's not like she's breaking up with them.
1: No, but she is just mad and she's just, y- yet again, I'm worried I'm going to get roped into something where someone's going to get hurt and I'm going to be an unwilling participant and I just don't want to be part of that life. So
0: she's just disengaging. Yeah. Which is, I correct. Yeah, the, the, and her
1: and Mo can talk about it when they get off the train.
0: Yeah, but. exactly. And I'm sure it'll all be fine afterwards, but she's just, look, this is your con- your consequences to lying to me about this party, a party that I never would have agreed to go to had I known all the details is I am now effectively not part of this party. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing that she's not part of this party because there's a little bit of a party pooper on this. (laughs) Because every party's got a pooper, and everyone's got a poop, and the first real death, well, the second real death occurs in a bathroom.
1: They call it the head on a ship. Do they call it something different on a train? The butt? The butt. I don't think they call it the butt. Cause then they'd have blood in their butt.
0: Oh, no one
1: wants broken glass in their butt.
0: We don't get to spend enough time with Jackson Snake Man, as I call him. Snake Man.
1: He is pretty friendly though, and he seems to be a pretty fun guy. He's getting a little tipsy, that's for sure. But he's not like, yeah, he does. He seems like the sort of person that I would enjoy hanging out at this. That I would even enjoy hanging out with at this party. <clears throat>
0: Mm-hmm. And we also see that there is an, indeed an individual skulking around in Ed's costume.
1: We know Ed's dad. No one else does. So they everyone asking where Ed is and they're like, oh, I saw him. He's dressed as Gresham Marks. He's over there. And we have seen him skulking around, that's for sure.
0: So, yeah. And and anytime that someone because even Elena's is a little bit concerned, like, where's Ed? And and someone says, oh, no, no I saw him. Definitely. And, you know, her best friend, uh, Mitchie, is uh, is uh, runs into him. And is leading him around. And we know that something's up. Because A, he's not speaking. B, we know that not only is Ed got impaled by a sword, he got smushed by the train as they fucking pulled out of the station.
1: Mm-hmm. And Ed would never stop talking. No,
0: what hell little no. little we know of Ed. And not only that, but to me, it's crazy that you would look at this person in this costume and not be able to tell that this person has a strikingly different body type.
1: Yeah, more on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Because Jackson, tipsy as he is, doesn't seem to notice that Ed isn't in the Groucho outfit either.
0: Just giving him all kinds of props for that sweet goof about the sword in your stomach. And then he wants to, hey, shh, shh.
1: Oh, yeah? The good stuff? Okay. Oh, wait. Yeah, I don't got nothing. I should not talk because I'm a killer in a Groucho Marx outfit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's just sneak into the bathroom together real quick and just drink in here. That's when Groucho Marx himself, ha-cha-cha-cha-cha, fucking smashes the dude's head right into there, right into the, the glass mirror and I guess seemingly is killed. We don't see any real death blow, but, I mean, it happens, for sure.
1: Yeah, there definitely is. And we already know that this person's pretty brutal. They've stabbed someone in the stomach in front of everybody, so they're gutsy, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. and brutal. So we're pretty sure that lizard man is dead. And we know that this is how this person seems to get around, right? By killing one person after another. It's like, oh, well, we're in a slasher film, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This idea of... Of the killer taking the costumes of the people that he kills. And then taking on that different look. And then being able to skulk around. And people not really being able to tell who's who. Because, oh, you're dressed as Snake Man. Therefore, you're Jackson. If you're dressed as Groucho Marx, that means you're Ed. No questions asked. I guess it does make sense. Every It, it is a graduating class. A fraternity even, so everyone is in indi- an individual thing. and also so there's no strangers on the train except for the people that work in the maintenance and but there's like performers and stuff like that. I don't know. to me, it's just very strange that they can't really tell
1: they might not all be super super tight. Our core group of friends that are holding this party, the seniors that we know, are super tight and should recognize one another by body. If you can recognize one of your friends at the end of a long train corridor, let alone like in anywhere, if you're out and you catch a glimpse of somebody you know at the corner of your eye, it's not their exact facial features you're recognizing, it's the way that they hold their stance, their gait, their hair color, the things they wear, Mm -hmm. their smell, Mm -hmm. things like that that you recognize about people far more than facial features. You don't need to see somebody's face when you know them, to recognize them, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that really annoy me about this film, but I let it go because it is a good
0: movie. It's a very good movie, but it's not perfect though. Okay. It's 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 definitely a slasher that I enjoy watching, and it's great for New Year's. Uh, but I'll get into some things that I find some of the weaker aspects of this film, up to and including um, our uh, our killer reveal, but. Um, as the party is progressing, things are, no one can stay at 11, the entire party, okay? Like, even though we like parties, there's more parties than we can fucking handle, and New Year's is nothing but parties and drinking, man.
1: Sounds like you want Winston on this train Do you not think
0: that that would be the greatest fucking terror train ever? It's like, what terror train should really be is like an amalgam of all the hardest partiers. So get slick in there, get fucking Winston in there, and just have all these, all like the cool party guys, like from all these horror movies, on one train.
1: Yeah, that would be very interesting. Annoying within 10 fucking minutes, but interesting. <laughs> but you but, keep channeling Winston, definitely. But things
0: are slowing down, man. <laughs> and there's just marijuana getting puffed. A little bit, which is weird, because they're going to be on this train for quite some fucking time. Yeah. And the party, I guess, is
1: going to have to go up to 11 and back down to 1. And up to 11 and back mm-hmm. down to 1. So I guess they'll kind of take a break and watch the magician do his thing. Oh, hell yeah. The band comes on for a bit. hmm Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And not only that, not only is this like party one and down, this seems to be kind of like uh, I don't want to get too blue here, but kind of a hookup party.
1: What seems... party isn't kind of a hookup party? This is why I don't go to fucking parties. I don't know. I don't. I'm not,
0: I'm not a hookup or a party guy.
1: It's not even a swinging seventies thing either. This is the eighties, but they're still almost doing
0: what you would call key swapping. Yeah, right. Because it seems that. It's people are just kind of because like all of these people are in relationships with each other But there's this one part where everyone's just kind of like trading off now That being said they don't really know about it. Just kind of underhanded sneaky. We're going off into another room together
1: Some of them do most very aware of it but the way that mode seems to treat women and has attitudes towards sex with women is Very I don't care doesn't matter. You know, he's gonna just stand here and if you end up on my dick That's your own fault when it comes to men, though, I think he has a very different attitude.
0: Well, at least when it's like when Doc's in reference to Mo, for sure. Yeah, like he he definitely like I like I don't think that it, like I don't think that it's subtext. I, I definitely think that that scene and then his reaction later. Yeah, and and how he's trying to sabotage Mo's relationship entirely Elena. yeah
1: even if it means that he's going to make mo fuck another girl to sabotage that relationship all it would mean at the end of the single because a girl that he used to sabotage a relationship means less than his relationship did he
0: no i i mean she's yeah. she's one he'll of...
1: just be single at the end of that and then he could maybe be even a little more blunt and instead of just being like it can be you and me and showing that he cares from very deeply he can be like look i'm gay and we should be together
0: yeah yeah because it comes off as that to me that one scene is just, it could just be like you always have me, yeah it could just be the two of us I mean I mean that,
1: and he says that very clearly there yeah. is like you said, no real subtext there no because because, it, because if they would have all ended up waking up the next morning, it probably would have been a very concise, clear, direct adult conversation that the two of them would have had,
0: yeah because it, because throughout when we first are introduced to dog he's very jokey not very serious very alpha male mm-hmm. but he, in that one moment he really brings it down and yeah you could read it's like well he just he did really good buddies I'm like mm, yeah I and I, I'm not, like showing affection towards your your male platonic friends obviously pretty acceptable but let's think about real clearly how this character has acted up until now and then the second they're alone and the second he is trying to comfort his friend, it all of it, like his personality fucking completely changes. Completely changes. Yeah. And and he comes off as so tender.
1: It and it's a good thing. This yeah. whole personality changing. It's like everything else is a friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah. There's the actual guy.
1: Yeah. Where If it weren't for those scenes, we wouldn't be able to feel for him near the end when he has a bit of a breakdown. Yeah. Probably one of the most precious, unspoken on-screen romances Mm -hmm. I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it is really sweet. But yeah, hookups. Back to the heterosexual sex, which is annoying by contrast Mm -hmm. and just really kind of wrong and a little bit sick and racy and a little bit hurtful.
0: Holy shit gang, party mom, party mom's here.
1: Thank God. She could save the day.
0: <laughs> now, throughout the film, ever since Snake Man died, Jackson died. The 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 bathroom that he is that he died in has been occupied Pado.
1: Yeah. So no entry. It seems like it's the only toilet on the entire train to. Or, or at least the first. To
0: to the first one that everyone thinks about.
1: Yeah. Right. It's probably just the easiest to access because it's near all the beds and stuff. Yeah. So like people try to go get drunk in there, try to smoke joints in there, try to fuck in there. So everyone's trying to get in this one bathroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Eventually, the uh, the the conductor uh, Ben Johnson, uh, the actor that played this conductor, a uh, Carney.
1: Carney. Yeah.
0: Um. One of the things that I I love about this guy's inclusion is, like, for those of you who don't know, this motherfucker has a legendary career in Hollywood. Um, He has—before he did Terror Train in 1980, this guy has over 200 screen credits. I I mean, mostly cowboys and uh, war movies and stuff like that. But, again, it's this really great technique uh, that we talked about in the previous episode— of getting some veteran, old-school character actors to come in and do these certain roles, because the role of the conductor really is—I mean—he gets top billing in the in the in the picture, but it really is um, a lot of the investigation and a lot of the more subtle acting that's required in this film is really on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. That's by design. I mean, obviously, you have uh, a lot of scenes dedicated to people who are either very new actors. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is always on point, so it's not really...
1: Oh, um, yeah, you um, could stick her in a Western or a noir or a railroad action film. Yeah, absolutely. And she would be able to hold her own, but it's a really good technique, much like putting a bunch of sorority girls in an estate manor in black christmas where it wouldn't fit otherwise but they make it make sense the way it's written this makes sense the way it's written because you're going to have that very serious guy who looks like he knows his way around a train probably because he's been on a million other train films and he can play that inspector type conductor and authoritative role Mm -hmm. because he definitely has and there's a nice age gap that's very apparent and realistic so i really enjoyed that the casting was really really smart for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's bringing he's bringing a lot to that role. It's very subtle, it's warm. Mm-hmm. Like he seems like a very jovial guy, like very um welcoming, like a like a
1: grandfather. Like a grandfather, yeah. very
0: but like you know that kind of grandpa that you wish you had, like just like this really warm, welcoming guy. And when things are serious, you know, he's pretty clear about it. And there the, man, there's a couple of scenes that he has where I was like, man, thank God they got someone who knows what they're doing. I'm thinking particularly uh, when he's dealing with the angry mob of, of scared people. Yeah. And, and you know, one guy is saying like, oh, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill this person and he's like, "Are you?" They are pulled you
1: that scene straight out of western, swear to god. Oh, yeah. swear oh yeah. to god. But it was handled extremely <clears throat> yeah. well. Let alone even the look of him talking about his forthcoming retirement. Yeah. Which you do kind of feel for this guy cuz it's like of all your last days on the job, man,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you get this one. Absolutely. So so and and so he really wants to get into this bathroom and this is one of the weaker moments in the film because Again, we're giving a lot of praise to this guy. And obviously, like, he can only do with the script what he's given, right? Like, and if this is the plot point. But what ends up happening is he opens up the bathroom and he discovers the body. The place is trashed. It's completely covered in blood. There's glass everywhere. There's a body on the floor. He checks the guy's pulse. Nothing. And there's blood all over. So uh, he's dead. And so it comes to the point where he's trying to tell the other uh, workers what the situation is. And we need to figure out what happened. Now, he believes it's an accident. And it's not unlikely to think that it would be an accident. I could... You come in into a bathroom, a guy by himself. The bathroom was locked from the inside. There's seemingly no way into it or out of it without locking... And still being able to lock the door.
1: You're on a moving train and you're drunk. I mean, I could conceivably see if you're going to play CSI, someone goes in the bathroom, they're drunk, and the train weebles and wobbles when it goes around a corner and you You topple over smack your head on the glass it breaks it you can
0: cut yourself
1: yeah and even with that even if that didn't knock you out you could have hit your head on the sink on the way down and give yourself a really good whack you could broke your neck entirely Mm -hmm. that would explain all of the blood and the fact that he's quite obviously
0: dead Mm -hmm. right but what ends up happening is as he's trying to make sure everyone's okay and make sure everyone stays away and brings one of his colleagues back to this area because
1: he doesn't want to spook the herd
0: exactly um oh shit there's a person in there they're very much alive there's not a speck of blood anywhere and i guess they come to the conclusion of he must have been it's a prank and this person is dead drunk and i made a mistake
1: and handily, people keep coming to this bathroom to use it, like I'd mentioned. Mitchie comes by, and she's like, oh, there he is. It's Jackson. Oh, he's up, and he's walking and talking, which he's not talking. That's a big lie. Um, and she's like, well, he's okay. I'll take him from here. The conductor is pretty freaked out because he's like, I swear to God, there was a dead guy in there covered in blood, and now the dead guy's up and walking. There's no blood. I don't know what's going on, but he's okay. Mm-hmm. So we can carry on. and I don't have to tell anybody. But... Like, he's obviously weirded out. I feel badly that he's doubting his own sanity at that point. Because we saw it too, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. And we know there's a killer on the train, nobody else does. But it's kind of sad in a way that he has to be like, well, okay, I'll let you go. But I was pretty sure that there was a dead guy in there a second ago. Mm-hmm. But now we know Groucho Marx is now known as Man.
0: He is. Lizard. No one seems to notice,
1: though. No one seems to notice. Yes, it's a really good costume that covers everything, so you can't tell that he's not a black guy anymore, mm-hmm. which does the job of that huge lizard outfit. And it covers everything. Like everything is covered, and you can mm-hmm. hardly see through the eye holes. So you definitely couldn't masquerade a white guy as a black guy in that particular outfit. But the killer that we know is not that
0: big. That was the thing. It's like Jackson was a very athletic, tall. Dude, yeah. Whereas not
1: big like a wrestler, but big whatever. like a not a linebacker. I don't even know the positions of football. He
0: just he just looks like a big in shape guy. He's not ripped. Like a baseball but, player. But, but but like our killer looks like they weigh like 120, 130 pounds tops. Yeah, and that's generous. I'm I'm being super generous.
1: About one hundred and twenty pounds, one hundred and thirty pounds. And not very muscular. Yeah, very. And where Jackson is very tall. Very muscular and fit, fit, fit. Yeah, like a yeah. like a tree person. Yeah, he could carry me around like a suitcase. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's just he could carry this killer around like a suitcase, but no one seems to notice that. Granted, everyone's drunk. Granted, all Mitchie seems to care about is his dick. Whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, and she really wants to get laid because
1: mm-hmm.
0: she's like, it's now it's our turn to get hooked up,
1: even though. Jackson has a girlfriend, but I guess that doesn't matter on this train.
0: Not on a hookup party.
1: I guess not. I but I don't
0: know. His, his, his girlfriend is not down with it because she seems very suspicious later on in the film that he's with another girl. So at the very least, it seems pretty underhanded. But good news. Jackson isn't even under there doing any sort of debauchery uh, as Mitchie lays back to get laid. She is uh, getting got. She's killed. Yeah. Hand over her face. Uh, now, I, again, like it's a little unbelievable in such a small compartment that's really only held together by a curtain.
1: What's kind of unbelievable is that the killer killed Jackson. Okay? And then smashed glass and blood all over the place. The conductor sees this. We see this. We know what state that bathroom was left in. Comes back tidies up tidies up impeccably because we got a nice shot not just the bathroom, bathroom but
0: his costume the too. costume
1: is completely clean you try getting blood stains out of foam whatever so the costume's clean the body's stashed somewhere everything's cleaned up then the killer thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna chop off his hand just in case anyone needs to see my skin they might know i'm not black so i'm gonna just chop off the hand and keep that with me in the hand of the outfit like that just seems ridiculous to me so when he goes to kill mitchy he she says take the fins there take the flippers off because she wants like his sexy hands all over her body right because like that's what grown-ups do and he flops the dead hand onto her chest which is awesome but i'm thinking why does he have the hand with him you have enough going on as a killer you don't need to carry body parts around with you just to... Is it a gag? Is it a joke that's not funny? Is it because he thought he would... He's like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to chop off this hand, keep the hand, seduce the girl. The girl want to see me and want me to touch her, so I'll touch her with the hand and it'll be hilarious.
2: Mm-hmm. Is that
1: what's happening? Maybe. It makes no sense. And it seems like a lot of fucking work to do in all of ten minutes. And where's Jackson's body just tipped off the train?
0: I mean, that's what you could do. You just toss it off the train and you're done, right?
1: guess so, yeah. It's the beauty of being a killer on a train. Mm-hmm. They need more train horror. They do. Yeah, poor Mitchie. Um, Mo and Jackson's girlfriend are walking around looking for them. And that's one of the thing that's interesting that I do like about this. It seems pretty realistic. Is once people lose track of one another, for as many people that are like, oh, it's okay, they're around, there are people that are concerned and looking for them. Um, it's nice little intertwining groups of people that are concerned about the missing of other people so Mm -hmm. it makes it interesting for us if we're sitting back playing the clue version of terror train
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I really I really do enjoy that and she mentions that they're not into swinging but other people on the train do have open relationships so this is kind of like bad for him and her but that's what sort of environment that they're in right now so there are general hookups going on like Mo being shacked up with some other girl while his girlfriend's out watching The Magician and getting hit on.
0: But man, Mo seems to have been duped into it or at least kind of carrying on. Although, I do think it's shitty that just because your girlfriend is mad at you for two seconds that you're going to go carry on. Well, I'm going to have a good time. And like you go carry on with floozies.
1: He was left with the floozy though because you're totally right. I swear that that's Doc's. Big plan.
0: Oh yeah, because because he even said when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis seems uh, rather mesmerized by David Copperfield, the magician, and why wouldn't you be? Yeah, because he's doing his, I'm hitting on you with magic routine.
1: Yeah, he totally is hitting on her with magic. It's great.
0: Which is the the reason I think that anyone ever becomes a magician. Like you just do that so you can pick up. Like, your respective mates, right? Can't
1: sing, can't play guitar, gonna have to be a magician.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna sit there and do card tricks. The conductor does card tricks. Everybody does card tricks. Not yeah, it's kind of annoying
1: in a way. It's cute and endearing when he does his card trick. Yeah, because kind of it's funny.
0: like it's like Grandpa <laughs> the, with, the, with, with his crappy little magic. It's like the, the dad qu- joke. Yeah, it's like his quarter behind the ear. Oh, geez, you're paying off like a broken slot machine. There's another one.
1: Which yeah. is hilarious. When there's a magician around, there's always that person that mm-hmm. knows a magic trick whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it to impress whoever, I guess, wasn't impressed enough by the actual magician. Photographers have this problem problem too as soon as you're a photographer with a camera other people come up to you and start showing off their parlor trick camera or (laughs) talking about photography things and this is so annoying i couldn't imagine being a magician and have other people doing their little magician tricks
0: i would use magic to hit on everybody that's what i would be doing it for i would have a floating rose especially if i was talking to jamie lee curtis that's adorable thank you so it suits you way
1: better than having a van that's covered in fun fur or whatever one inside <laughs> shag carpet and shit and the nickname of slick
0: well look we're keeping the nickname but doc's fucking underhanded plan was he basically he's it's a sting operation he is telling elena to go oh you know mo just really wants to talk to you and he's sorry and so am i he's at this car why don't you go and talk to him and so she goes to go and talk to her, and you're, and you're thinking, oh, here we go. Because by this time we go back, and, and uh, Mo's new lady friend is just naked, and she's dancing around. I was like, oh my god. And sure enough, uh, Elena never really gets there because she's interrupted by the conductor who has a shoe in his hand. And he asks if he knows who this belongs to. And he says yeah it's Mitchie's." and then he starts leading her towards her
1: no well, he wants to go and put her in the back of the car to tell her because he needs he knows he needs to tell somebody from mm-hmm. the party that he's found a dead body is awfully confused about the other one that he thought he found mm-hmm. that seems to be up and walking around
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh he's, he's deeply confused and he's deeply worried and he's not sure what to do so of course he's going to pick on the party mom because she's the only person walking around that's not fucking drunk or stoned or got a deck inside of her so she's the most convenient person to talk to mm-hmm. and knew whose shoe this was so this is her best friend and she even says it's my best friend
2: mm-hmm.
1: so he tries to pull her aside and she's already like just what the fuck is going on because she's already agitated just because of this whole fucking night mm-hmm. um and he tells her that he's found her friend dead of course that goes her into throws her into a panic so she's checking every single bunk and i'm thinking why doesn't he just tell her what bunk and save this panic but i guess it makes for a good theatric scene where she's flinging open all the drapes until she finds that body
0: mm-hmm. and find the body she does uh, and we see Michi her throat has been cut so we're back we're back hanging out with david copperfield and by the way this whole time doc when he's Alone, like alone, when he's in the room with a magician, he's a mad heckler. Yeah. Is shouting at him. He doesn't seem to like this magician because this magician is doing magic tricks and is sexy and is getting everyone's attention. And it just seems to be the real star of the train. And maybe that's something that. Doc Manley feels like should be his role. Yeah, super
1: jealous, super, super, jealous.
0: super jealous. He about... even
1: says that he knows some magic tricks, which is just a crock of shit. The only magic he mm-hmm. knows is telling jokes that happen to be magically not funny.
0: Mm-hmm. And when, uh, yeah, and even though um, uh, Elena had banged on the door when the her and the conductor were trying to just go past and he was supposed to lead her into that extra compartment, Almost getting Mo caught, but then Mo realizing what the situation was, and getting his floozy to calm the hell down. and Then he got out of there, and then he went to go confront Doc about it, saying that he didn't get caught. He doesn't even really seem that mad with his friend, and he is, and they are just hanging out watching this magic show.
1: Maybe because he gets that sense of humor, he's like, "I see that what you tried to do there, ha ha."
0: Yeah. But But again, I was like, I wouldn't find that funny. Like I would fucking, this person would not be my friend. You were literally trying to sabotage my life and stress me out for what?
1: That or they need to have a conversation. I'm convinced they would just have the next day where he'd be like, what were you trying to do? And he'd be like, look, I'm in love with you. And I, it's not that our friendship was a sham. I'm just absolutely gay and I don't know how to deal with it, obviously. So help me. Mm. Either help me and be my friend or help me and we'll be together because that's what I want, obviously. And then they'll have that conversation. Mm but unfortunately the night ends the way that it does and they don't get a chance but yeah mo goes to hang out with his friend because i guess if even if there isn't any intention there on mo's behalf which who knows there could be it's very ambiguous there he does think of doc as his friend and he's his best friend so neither of us would be friends with manly no way even if he is obviously trouble or maybe maybe mo has just seen through this all this time and has just been waiting for his friend to come out of the closet and it's just going to stand by him until he does because he sees all of this like shithead attitude towards women shithead attitude towards other men weird multi teddy bear attitude towards mo He's just waiting for him to come to terms with it, so he can be his friend when he's his gay friend.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could be.
1: So Mo goes and hangs out with him while he's heckling the hell out of David Copperfield, which is just kind of sad. David Copperfield deals with hecklers pretty well in this film.
0: Oh yeah, like mocks him a lot, and then is like, "Can anyone make him disappear?" There's also uh, like a lot of like like jokey stuff, and I'm wondering, I was like, "How much?" ad-living uh, to David Copperfield, dude, because it, I honestly I'd be like, what direction would you give this guy? He's like, you're a magician. And he has some bits of dialogue, but he also may as well not even be there. And really he, what he does is he serves as a bit of a herring, a red herring
1: he certainly does, which is just artfully written in, but a lot of his lines are just very typical stock and trade David Copperfield lines, things that he says during his own show. There's probably only about five lines that are directly story related.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as he makes his lovely assistant reappear, um, that's when Bo Mo just sort of teeters over. Poof!
1: There's the magic trick for you. Moe's magically dead. He's been just sitting there in a huge room of people, in a huge crowd of people, right beside his very best friend, and is dead. And when you're thinking about it, the only thing that's happened, like David Copperfield's kind of been roaming around the crowd doing magic tricks, but even as a red herring, he didn't touch Mo.
0: Yeah, nowhere near him. No. They were shown in the back. This is where Doc completely comes unglued. And we're not even sure what's the matter with him. But as he starts screeching for help, people don't really seem to be paying him any mind. By the way, they know this fucking dude is is the king of pranks. And so this is really a boy who cried wolf type scenario. They think there they are, the fucking seniors, trying to do one more prank and yeah. no one's buying Oh, they
1: found it. another cadaver. Yeah. give Don't pay any attention. Just don't look. Just don't look. Yeah. And that's... <laughs> That wasn't even a Simpsons reference. Yeah. But he does, like, scoop Mo up and go running for help. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. no one in there is going to listen to him. They can hear him,
0: obviously, Mm -hmm. but
1: no one's going to pay him any attention.
0: Runs into... Runs into uh, Elena and then sits him down on on a bed. And then his whole chest has been carved open. Almost... Like, almost as though... His chest got cut, but his shirt didn't get cut. It's crazy. That's
1: like writing on the inside of a banana without breaking the peel. I still haven't done that for you, but I will someday. That's the only magic trick I know, and it's not really. It's science.
0: It's very interesting.
1: Yeah, this is probably a lot like that magic trick. They carved the inside of the banana without cutting the peel. Mm-mm-mm. And there's blood absolutely fucking everywhere. They, he's, it seems like he's been dead for a while, actually. Mm-hmm. Almost from the last line that he has sitting there beside... Doc, he's probably died shortly thereafter.
0: Yeah, in this panic, as Don, Doc is, is like screeching in panic and saying, "I'm a doctor and I can't save this person." You're you're seeing that he's having a full blown meltdown.
1: Considering the way that this reveal ends up, I can just imagine that the killer was there because because of the way that that scene unfolds. And the way that the end of the film unfolds, the killer was probably sitting beside him for 10 fucking minutes with his hand at the back of his shirt, carving his heart out. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And no, no one was any wiser. Like it was, It's kind of a cool thing, a kind of a bit of a head fuck, actually, when you think about that particular death. And I enjoy it very, very much.
0: It's very cool. Doc goes to pull the emergency system to get the conductor to stop the train. And the conductor who's there says, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Brace yourself! Brace yourself! Because the whole thing's going to come to a screeching halt." But it doesn't. When the conductor goes to check on why, both the um, both the engineer and I guess either the the coal shoveler or the assistant train engineer they're both gone.
1: Yeah, and the window's hanging wide open. So I guess someone and there's blood on a hat too on the other conductor's mm-hmm. hat. So. I guess they've just been thrown from the train,
0: mm-hmm. murdered uh, again, and this is where they uh, manage to s- to slow the train down and stop it, and then they start bringing everyone outside. This is where it's a big. Uh, this is where the conductor uh, Carney explains to them or gets the rest of his staff to search the train. You have to search the train for this person while everyone else is panicked and cold. It's January, it's freezing out, they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Uh, There's no roads, there's nowhere to go.
1: They're covered in emergency blankets outside and complaining and it's snowing and it's dark. Mm -hmm. So the only people left on the train, aside from staff right now, is Doc and Elena. And Doc is convinced that it's the magician. Mm -hmm. he pulls out a yearbook even to show her and not only is he convinced it's a magician he's convinced that his own life is in very grave danger and he's next and the killer is actually targeting him because Mm -hmm. the killer is kenny the person who he had embarrassed at the very very beginning of Uh,
0: the film uh jamie lee curtis's character elena with all of her deduction skills from dealing with previous killers (laughs) comes to the conclusion that you know she you guys weren't didn't understand I went to go visit Kenny in the hospital. And did you know that he, I couldn't even see him. He killed somebody. He killed somebody. Maybe it was an accident, but he did kill somebody. He was broken after that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so, and she was the one who's like, don't you see what's happening here? So it is true that the only people left alive so far that participated in this prank are Elena and Doc.
1: So that means Doc has to shut every door on that cabin and even break the knobs off and just sequester them both in there. She's having none of it because he's actually kind of freaking out and becoming a little violent and it doesn't feel very safe being in there with him anyway. Mm -hmm. And I would just kind of leave him to sulk too. And you know what? If the killer's going to come after you, I don't want to be anywhere near you. Mm -hmm. There should be not only more train horror movies, but more bully horror movies where the bullies all die. Mm -hmm. We definitely need more of that. A lot like the movie Some Kind of Hate.
0: All right, yeah. Yeah. Now, Elena's attitude is, if we don't leave this room, the killer is just going to kill everyone else on the train. I think that's a little outlandish.
1: It is, too, and I kind of do agree with Doc, with his, like, every man for himself, I don't give a shit, and lock myself in here.
0: All the good it does him, because he does end up making a rather grave mistake. By not checking every aspect of that room. After Elena leaves, he locks himself back in there. He starts opening a bunch of doors and then, uh-oh, underneath one of the couches is a very well manicured hand.
1: With, yeah, a nice with... lady's hand. It's definitely a lady's hand that grabs him by the ankle. Um, I I always wish, because it's my deepest fear after seeing Pet Cemetery, is that his Achilles tendon would have got cut, mm-hmm. but it just grabs him and trips him. But we know that he's being caught by the killer.
0: Absolutely. And then as everyone's shuffled back onto the train, because they, they can't find anybody and there's, and you have to get on the train. We have to start the train again. There's only one direction that we can go in and you can't, you, none of you can stay here. It's, there's no roads there's no roads you will freeze to death yeah you will last a couple hours to your tops and you will die
1: they're angry because they're like you're gonna put us back on the train with a killer we're gonna get killed and it's like there's no other choice what we're gonna do is put you all in one car Mm -hmm. there's five cars to this train if they put them all in one and my thinking is like that's smart you know as soon as somebody dies you know the killer's in there Mm -hmm. i'll sacrifice one of you i'm fine with that
0: but which one
1: that mouthy one that wants to fight
0: oh yeah that guy Yeah. yeah Yeah, he definitely uh, has this attitude of wanting to take on the killers like in a, in a very mob mentality type of way. Um, he gets put in his place pretty easily, though. Because at the end of the day, these people are just scared and they're angry and they're frustrated. And they're drunk. And they're drunk. They were trying to have a good time. And this good time has gone south.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: As they get back to Doc's room to check on him. Oh, man. He's super dead.
1: Yeah, there's blood everywhere. Poor Carney has to encounter these blood coated rooms over and over.
0: It's true. And what we get is probably the worst prosthetic head that I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, that was the least enjoyable. They could have just had the head roll off camera and us not really get a look at its features, and we would have had that full effect of like, it was definitely decapitated.
0: Yeah. But it's not necessary. The the face
1: doesn't even look like him. It's a total, like, if it was a decapitated head from. Maybe eight months previous, or like a couple months, maybe where it would have changed color that drastically. It just
0: looked smaller. It didn't look like him whatsoever. No, it didn't
1: look like him at all. Yeah, but, I mean,
0: it's hard. It's a they hard... get one
1: and a half points for having a decapitated head, but they lose the other points because it looked nothing like him. It didn't look very good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could
1: have just went bouncing down the corridor. In the shadows, and I'd be very happy with that.
0: We have a very random scene now where we're dealing with the magician himself just sitting there stabbing a box. And his assistant comes in and actually has some dialogue. I
1: love that he's time. stabbing the box over and over. with. That's my favorite David Copperfield scene because he has no lines either. He just kind of glares up at his assistant. Like, he doesn't even want her around at all. Like, she's a burden or something. Mm-hmm. And he's just sliding swords in and out of these holes in the box. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, wow. This is classy.
2: <laughs>
1: the assistant is just in from outside, it seems. She's toweling off, I guess, from the snow. Uh, or if she, like, took a break and took a shower, who knows? Could mm. be. Could very well be, considering this person. But she's awfully talkative for the first time kind of chipper
0: Mm -hmm. there's something about the the assistant um that i've noticed throughout the film i mean i know like like a lot about this film but like um even if you didn't know anything there's there's just a look a shape to this person that i find very distracting to the point where you start thinking what is What's going on here? What's all this about? And everyone has a very unique shape, like you know what I mean. Like no one's body is just like anybody else's. But there was just there's something about it, um, which I find this reveal, like the, the the eventual the inevitable reveal, I find is not as elegant or depth as it uh, as it could be. I think that um,
1: I enjoy it very much. It's not. I haven't one ounce of problem with it.
0: I don't know. To me like maybe to me it's too obvious. But like I like I even the first time I saw this film I was not fooled at all. So, I don't know. But anyway, um Elena is going to have her opportunity to take on this killer one on one. Mono a Mono.
1: Yep. Yeah, which is probably our favorite place for Jamie Lee Curtis to be.
0: Oh hell yeah. And she's not going to be fucking taken lightly not by this fucking twerp. You're talking about a woman that is tangled with Michael B. Myers. Just added the middle initial there. B for badass. I thought it would
1: just be Michael motherfucking Myers.
0: Michael motherfucking Myers. And so, like, it, it's it's a pretty good fight. Pretty gritty. It's an and, interesting
1: fight because she's caged. I really do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, using the cage as an interesting setting for her safety slash captivity.
0: Mm-hmm. Um And it's pretty menacing. And not only that, but this is probably the most um, visceral, brutal, bare-knuckled fight that she's really ever been in.
1: And the killer doesn't escape unscathed. They Mm -hmm. end up with a fucking seat pick right through them. Oh,
0: God, yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but um, even Jamie the Curtis, like, her earring gets ripped out. Yeah, Um... which is a
1: cringeworthy scene for those who have earrings.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's why
1: I don't wear full hoops, because I'm terrified of that happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's horrible.
0: And, and eventually what we think happens is this mysterious killer gets bumped off the train.
1: Yeah, we're pretty sure. But we also know, through the magic of cinema, that they've hung on with just one arm. Mm-hmm. Thank Christ.
2: <laughs> For me,
1: anyway. Because there's a few scenes come up that I really, really enjoy. Um, two scenes, in fact, that I really, really, really enjoy. Three. Okay, three. <laughs> okay. And there's not much left of this movie. Not really. It's wrapped up pretty well, because, you know, at this point, uh, it's gone on like an hour and 20 minutes. It's feature length, and they could very well be dead and breathe a big sigh of relief. And, yay, you've saved the day, Jamie Lee Curtis, once again. But the killer does come back. Well, she's curled up in a cabin, kind of, like coming down off of that adrenaline rush that it is to kill somebody, I guess. Mm -hmm. And just the exhaustion of the night and being angry all that time and her dead friends, dead boyfriend. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. We see movement out the window.
0: Oh yeah, we certainly do.
1: It's almost akin to like Coppola's Dracula. Yeah, yeah. In a way.
0: It's crawling down the building. It's very Muppet-like. And I think it's kind of coming from the fact that... You know, uh, the killer wears these fucking ridiculous masks, right?
1: Yeah, after the last person that it's killed. Yeah,
0: and this is... They're wearing the uh, the witch mask. Yeah,
1: Mitchie's outfit.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Witchy Mitchy.
0: Witchy Mitchy. Yeah,
1: and it's more like a wizened haggish man almost. Like, it's a very scary-looking mask. So you've all of a sudden, through this moving train window at night, got this upside down, because somehow he's crawling along the outside of the train upside down looking in the window, and looking in on her it's comedic and creepy all at once kind of mm-hmm. my favorite mm-hmm. and i wish that that would have been the poster for this movie so mm-hmm. that's favorite scene number number one mm-hmm. of three in the mm-hmm. next 10 minutes
0: yeah mm-hmm. i think that what this film uh, uh, for me what i think are some of the best scenes is just dealing with how cramped a train is how narrow the hallways are how small the sleeping areas are how small. The bathrooms are. These are large vehicles, but space is a luxury.
1: Yeah, you're trapped every corner. Let alone being trapped on this moving bullet.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And by the way, the bodies are ramping up as as more uh, train pe- as more uh, train personnel keep getting killed. Um, people that are uh, like we just keep encountering more bodies, swords through them and shit like that. Like, you know, and and one of the things is like when they were looking for the magician, Kenny, he's not present. No, the
1: conductor had thought he talked to him because the curtain is drawn and he's talking to the curtain. And then when he goes behind the curtain, there's nobody there. Mm -hmm. But he's a magician, right? So he could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. But like they don't actually get a chance to talk to him. They're pretty sure that's who the killer is. But no one gets a chance to confront him.
0: Mm-hmm, not at all. And when Jamie Lee Curtis finally gets her way back there, and then the the sword box opens, we see that the magician, David Copperfield himself, is skewered. Just completely skewered.
1: Yep, yeah, by his own sword trick box, which I think is hilarious. It's pretty good. But, of course, it's cause for alarm because it's not the magician
0: it's not the magician. At this point, I'm pretty sure any astute viewer could probably figure out where this is going.
1: Yeah. And even if you hadn't beforehand, just like like you were saying, that the assistant doesn't quite look right, and the attitude of the magician towards the assistant, and if you'd picked up on the fact that no one has named the magician except the assistant, the assistant keeps calling the magician Ken, but he doesn't answer to the name Ken.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. When Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Elena comes screaming out of that fucking place and goes into the main area looking for the conductor, looking for anybody, she sees someone sitting down with their hand, head in their hands and she's just crying and then these hands get uh, grab her and wearing a creepy plastic mask, not unlike Alice, Sweet Alice. There's our killer pulling their mask off, revealing, yes, it is the nerdy guy from the beginning of the movie. And just in case you're not sure, it will flash the shot of the assistant.
1: And he's actually still just pulling off the wig. Mm -hmm. He'd had this clear mask on and the assistant's wig still on. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of pandering in a way In case you're too stupid to realize. Mm -hmm. But they're also dealing with the, the 1980s of transphobia, homophobia. They're having to sort of burst through a lot of that. They can't even necessarily name this not ambiguous gay relationship that's budding in the film. Of course, they have to kind of dance around or be very clear with the fact that this man is trans or at least is masquerading as such to get on board and kill all of these people he has a vendetta against
0: I think that for me I find that the the actor um they use the same actor from the first uh prank scene from the beginning of the movie and uh, throughout the entire film and I just think that like the actor to me is very recognizable as a very unique look about them
1: I know and, and you can't mistake that body for Jackson let alone a lot of the other bodies of the males in this film
0: and and when you see the assistant it's, I mean, it's a it's a male frame in my opinion. Kind
1: like, of. I the only nitpick I have there on you is that I've seen a I've seen particular body styles of men in their twenties that aren't much different from uh, dancing girls, burlesque girls, strippers in yeah, their sixties. So a six-year-old stripper and a twenty-two-year-old studly-looking man mm-hmm. don't have a lot of differences in their bodies.
0: No, and I know that. I maybe it's just because a of very the fa-
1: muscular dancing girl versus a very slightly built young man.
0: No, 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 and I understand that, and I understand that. You know, I understand that that uh, the you know people come in all shapes and sizes. My point is, is I recognized we saw this actor. He looked like Kenny. Yeah. Or she I, looked like Kenny. She looked like Kenny. I was like, we saw this actor down to his underwear at the beginning of this movie. We did. And and so it's like, I just, I recognize this person. And I've recognized this person throughout the entire film. So I don't think it's too clever of a, look, this is not a sleepaway camp like reveal. We're, All of the, the
1: shots of the assistant, though, are long shots up until that a certain is true. point. That so is true. So you might not get a good look at her. And if you've watched a lot of David Copperfield or circus or whatever other circus shows were on in the 80s a lot of these assistant girls did look like that Mm -hmm. and they were just sort of like they were definitely ignorable off to the side And if you're doing your good job paying attention to david copperfield which wasn't hard because he draws a lot of attention whether you know who david copperfield is or not like i've been going on a lot about david fucking copperfield but you can go into this movie not knowing who he is and he will still draw your attention like he's supposed to as a good magician and the assistant does sort of melt off to the side and, like I said, long shots. You don't really mm-hmm. get a good look at her until she comes in later on while she's drawing off, probably not from being outside, but probably from washing blood off of her mm-hmm. when she comes to talk to the magician who acts very standoffish.
0: Yeah. And again, there's a little bit of dialogue between uh, Kenny and, and uh, Elena where he, he brings up an interesting point of the fact that you know, Kenny considers himself quite an actually good magician. He was very into magic while they were in school, and and he really considered uh, David Copperfield's character that he had to play second fiddle to this hack, in his opinion. So, like, there's this very brief dialogue that illustrates this very intricate relationship that they may have had. Because I was like, this has to have been a plan for a while.
1: And he accuses Elena of liking that magician
0: yeah liking that magician you like that magician and then he keeps saying kiss me kiss me kiss me in the same way that um you know elena was saying the beginning and just in case you don't know they will show you the scene at the beginning of the movie just to remind you 90 minutes is a long time i'm being sarcastic but
1: yeah i know but he's also reliving all of this too so it's not only for our benefit or the benefit of the people that have been like Playing with their cell phones that didn't exist in the 80s mm-hmm. or whatever. People that weren't paying attention. People that were making out in the theater oh. during the sexy times.
0: Oh. Yeah, all the key
1: swapping and open relationship stuff.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. And all the beautiful men and women on that train.
1: Exactly. So if you weren't paying attention, then this will be your refresher. Or if they did their job of taking you along on their train ride, as it were, and you've forgotten that quick scene at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So they kiss, which is my second favorite scene in the final 10 minutes. Because it is kind of tender.
0: It's pretty tender. And he freaks the fuck out almost in the exact same way. Finds more fabric to get wrapped <laughs> up in. Oh! And they
1: show that scene, again, superimposed as well. So
0: Yeah, superimposed. And then... Out of left field, like the old man in Home Alone just whacks Kenny with the fucking shovel.
1: Yeah. And you can hear it. Ring oh, out.
0: Man. Ring out. And then Kenny just drops like a sack of potatoes out. And man, it's like, oh, maybe he's going to fall in the water. He'll live. Fuck. He barely hits the water like he more hits the ice more than anything
1: yeah and he knocks one of his shoes off and everything
0: oh yeah and he's fucked up and then it's just you just watch his body just slowly very deadly floating down the river it's pretty fucking sad actually
1: the first time i had seen this film i was very young i might have been 10 or something my mother had rented it And she'd watched it overnight and I watched it in the afternoon. And I'd forgotten what movie it was because I was pretty young. But all I remembered was I really loved the mask. I liked the first death because no one seemed to notice. And I loved the ending because it was just like, well, that's that, I suppose. Everyone's safe now. That's you know the cleanest way to kill somebody you just sort of dump them off the side of the train and they end up in the drink and they float down the river and they're dead as a doornail and <laughs> like it never happened mm-hmm. and i thought that was the coolest best i thought every horror movie should just end like that really yeah especially if you can't figure out how to off the killer we're just like poof we're on a train <laughs> poof, they're off the side into the icy drink <laughs> I, I love that ending. And it, for years, I couldn't remember what movie it was that I had seen. And my mom watched a lot of horror movies at the time, and it didn't stick to her, so she couldn't remember either. So it took me years to realize it had been terror-trained. We also didn't have the internet. And flipping through a movie book, trying to find what movie, when you can only remember certain scenes, is Ugh. really
0: hard. Don't even remind me.
1: Yeah, it's horrible. So I had a hard time trying to remember what movie it was.
0: Um... Yeah, I saw this movie when I was quite young as well. I saw it, or probably around this time of year uh, on the movie network, um, on movie picks where I watched a lot of really old horror movies, and uh, I remember the I changed to it just as uh, we were seeing some nudity until you had me for the rest of the movie. Oh, good job.
1: Good <laughs> job. Shame you missed the beginning, but whatever.
0: I eventually did see the beginning, because the nice thing about movie picks is they would play these movies multiple times.
1: Yeah, yeah, until, until your eyes pop out of your head.
0: Basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was really, really cool for me. And, and what, honestly, Terror Train, to me, has flaws in it. In terms of, uh, of the, the Jamie Lee Curtis slasher trilogy... I mean, not obviously not including like things like Halloween Two and all the times that she came back in Halloween. Yeah, but but these three films, I like it the least. But um, there's still tons to recommend about it. I think the 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 it's shot wonderfully. It I, is
1: the setting is impeccable.
0: The the, the train looks fucking amazing. Uh, the 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 acting. I mean, obviously you have um, Ben Johnson, you have Jamie Lee Curtis, you have people that can expertly carry this film.
1: It's very interesting character-to-character, to character too, because even though we have the benefit of having them in different outfits and can identify them as such, like Lizard Guy, Gertrude Marx, the witch, stuff like that, the monk, the bird, um, they, the characters themselves have very distinct and not interchangeable mm-hmm. characters as well. So it's cast and acted, written very, very well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I think there's a lot to recommend ab- about it um, again, I just feel that there's certain clumsier elements. Maybe it's because I'm I'm not that guy that tries to beat a movie to its conclusion. I'm very much I sit down and I watch the movie, and as the movie is projected to me, and I'm given information from the film, so I don't try to guess ahead. And I think even at a young age, I guessed ahead about what the the reveal was well yeah and, it's
1: only about two deaths in where you start to think well that must be the guy from the beginning
0: yeah yeah and 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 even even then uh, uh, it's it's like you know like it's 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 like fucking slaughter high or something like that where it's just yeah i get it you pranked someone at the beginning of the movie and there they are
1: it'd be a lot more fun if the name ken hadn't even been mentioned if the killer wasn't trying to continuously divert people into thinking the magician's name was Ken. I agree. It man. just seemed really out of place. Like it's very, very irksome to me. That and the second thing that I dislike very deeply is that no one seems to know who hired the magician. Mm-hmm. And they're all super tight and this shit costs a lot of money. You don't just have a fucking magician and their assistant and all their gear show up and a really good magician too.
0: Yeah, like a magician that looks like it costs money, I have always suspected, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if you think, I have suspected that Kenny hired
2: well, yeah. his
0: own magician. Definitely. And and they just showed up at the train and they didn't no one thought anything of it.
1: Yeah.
0: It's weird that no one thought anything of it. They maybe spend all of two seconds. Trying Elena
1: to th- says, like, who hired the magician? I didn't mm-hmm. hire the magician. Well, whatever. And that's sort of the attitude about it. And I'm like, you can't well, whatever. It's sort of like well who showed up in the bunny costume handing out easter eggs do you know them no i don't know them oh well
0: Mm -hmm. must be
1: one of the new students that nobody knows and they're shy so they're keeping their mask on like that could happen or like who brought that extra keg i don't know must have been one of the party goers okay but a magician Mm -hmm. a magician yeah I I can't believe that so those are the two biggest things and they're magician related they're the weakest writing as far as the magician's related because other than those two things it's seamless and those aren't even about his character it's not about David Copperfield's acting or presence on screen it's just that device of the magician and the killer's involvement with them that seems to be handled oddly like we're, we're asked to swallow a little much there.
0: Yeah, so but like I don't want, I still like this movie and I think it's a real fun sit. And I think if you guys are looking for New Year's Eve type horror, like some people are going to some people are going to maybe recommend New Year's Evil or something like that. I think that movie is atrocious.
1: That's why we're not doing it for our New Year's edition of the Yeah, watch podcast. Nec- watch
0: watch next year. It's like New Year's Evil. <laughs> not if I can't think of anything better. And I will try really hard. We
1: can do a Halloween movie for New Year's.
0: We can do a Halloween movie for New Year's.
1: Yeah. For
0: real. Yeah. We'll see. But it's just going to be New Year's Evil where the killer's it name is e Like, I'm not even joking. The killer's...
1: The k- Did you know that Mr. Bean's first name is Mr.?
0: That's a lie.
1: It's not. It's what it says on his driver's license. Really? Mr. M-R. That's his first name.
0: I'd rather be E. Ville than Mr. Bean.
1: <laughs> really, I'd rather be Mr. Bean. He seems so carefree.
0: <laughs> what do we got next for him? Next we have Spider Baby. Finally, getting to this fan requested film, Spider Baby. We're going back to black and white.
1: I had wanted to be in among some of the more black and white film, but our New Year's crept up on us and we're heading into 2017. Oh my God. Yeah. With a nice spidery movie to start with, the Mary family girls, I can't wait to hang out with them in their cannibalistic ways.
0: Mm, Absolutely.
1: Nothing like a nice plate of meat to start the year off right.
0: (laughs) Is that your New Year's resolution? Are you going to eat more meat?
1: I don't know if I could possibly eat more meat without getting gout.
0: (laughs) No gout about it. No gout about it.
1: We're Canadian. Isn't it supposed to be new good booted? New good <laughs> If you have any tasty meat recommendations, cannibals and films, black and white throwback classic horrors, or something that you want to see on dead air, you can get a hold of us at splatterpictures.net, which mm-hmm. is the mothership or the mother load. Skeet, skeet.
0: All over our face, neck, and chest.
1: Yep, yeah, please do. Or. All over Wes's face, neck and chest. Uh, Twitter. What's your Twitter? It's
0: WesDeadAirKnipe.
1: And Facebook.
0: Facebook. You can go to our spider pictures slash dead air Podcast Facebook fan page if you like. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank, yet again, your friends and mine, the patron set of plagues for our intro and outro tracks. Get Scary Tales 3. If you haven't already.
1: And that's it. So tasty meat.
0: <laughs>
1: if you can catch it, kill it, it's yours.
0: Hell, motherfucking yeah. We will see you in 2017 on our road to 100 episodes of the Dead Air Podcast. I am Wes Nipe.
1: And I'm Typical Lydia.
0: And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>